Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. We are coming to you live today on this Tuesday, April 17th from our studios here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in Kirkwood in St. Louis County, Missouri. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bon Terre, Missouri. If you'd like to find out more about our congregation, you go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. We, in this program, are going through the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, what our churches believe, teach, and confess on the basis of God's Holy Word. And we invite your participation in the program. We have a toll-free number all across North America. That toll-free number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, the phone number is area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also send us your comments or questions by way of email. The email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. And let me just uh, remind you this week that we have KFUO's annual share coming up, uh, share 2018. This will be uh, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday morning. I'm going to be part of that program Thursday morning from 9 to 11 here in the Central Time Zone. So uh, this is our annual effort to uh, get you involved as a supporter of our worldwide ministry here on KFUO. So share 2018, this Thursday through Saturday. Well, in our studio today, we have two guests uh, talking about the article on repentance from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. I'm sorry about that. Why? Oh, it's just repenting. Oh, you're repenting. Yeah, it was a preemptive here? repentance. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, Pastor Marcel, we are very happy that you are here. And uh, tell us a little bit about your church. Uh, well, I'm from Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri. That's OurSaviorLCS.org. And uh, we have a, uh, a grade school, a preschool, a two-year-old program. So we've got about 115 kids in our school. And LCS would be Lutheran Church and School? Yep, that, Lutheran so, Church and School. So OurSaviorLCS.org. .org. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so it's been pretty exciting. Uh, school is on its way, yep. taken off again. So it's been good, good. It's been a great year. Fenton is uh, just in the southern part of St. Louis County, and I've been there before. And so we're glad to have you here. Yeah, we're right on one forty-one between thirty and forty-four. Very good. And then our other guest in the studio today is Pastor Paul Landgraf, one of my seminary classmates. And uh, Paul, where are you pastoring? I'm at two churches out west of St. Louis area between here and Jefferson City. First one is St. John Lutheran Church in Drake. It's a 
a super small town off of Highway 50. But Jesus shows up there on Sunday. Oh, yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And blessed are those who, who, who don't, don't see but yet believe. And then the, even further west is a small town called Freedom, and there's Pilgrim Lutheran Church. And both happen to be celebrating their 150th anniversary this year. Very good, very good. And uh, is there a way that people can find out more about these churches? Yes, we've entered the modern age and do have, although we use TLH, we do have uh, both websites, stjohnlutheran-drake.com and then pilgrimlutheranfreedom.com. All right, very good. Well, today we're going to get back into this article on repentance from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, as we've noted many times on this program, the apology uh, to the Augsburg Confession doesn't mean that we're sorry we wrote the Augsburg Confession. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's a, a thorough and spirited defense of what the Lutherans confessed in the Augsburg Confession. And so uh, this is in response to the Roman confutation uh, that the uh, Pope's theologians put forward in response to the Augsburg Confession of 1530, then came the Roman Confutation, and then 1531, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And so uh, what the uh, adversaries, the Roman theologians, had uh, uh, condemned in the Lutheran Confession, here in the Apology, we are... are uh, supporting our position. The drafter, the writer of the apology is Philip Melanchthon, who is Luther's able and knowledgeable right-hand man, and he does a very thorough job in here. So uh, just reviewing up to this point where we've been in Article 12 on repentance, uh, I'll break it up in just a few small parts here. Uh, First of all, he lays out the issues with Rome. The Lutherans say there are two parts of repentance, contrition and faith, The Roman theologians say there are three parts to repentance, contrition, confession, and satisfaction. What's the problem with that? What is meant by, they're both agreeing that contrition is part of repentance. Uh, The Lutherans then just say faith, but the Roman theologians say confession and satisfaction. What is the issue there, either one of you? Well, I'll I'll, uh, chime in here. Uh, The... There's a note at the beginning of our, our book of, of Concord, the reader's edition, that talks about the, the three parts and says, Rome attributes our forgiveness to human works and denies itself the comforting gospel. And, and that's, a, that's a significant difference, isn't it? The, the faith, which instead of a faith which trusts Christ, trust in your own works, it's, it's just a, it's a bad road to go down. So, so they're both saying contrition. What is meant by contrition, Pastor Sell? Well, contrition is when you've realized you've sinned and you're sorry for it. You, okay. you realize, oh my goodness, I've gotten caught. I've been convicted that I've done something wrong and it really is wrong and I'm sorry. Now, actually, the Roman church would make a distinction between attrition and contrition, a fine distinction. Uh, uh, the attrition would be more, well, I got caught. You see this with people... <laughs> Uh, issuing apologies left and right these days, all right? So they find it, they, it's not like they're really sorry for what they did. They got caught. It's only that they got caught. Because of the punishment of hell and things yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, scaring somebody into heaven. But yeah. true contrition would be you're really, no, you've you're sinned truly against. truly sorry. Yeah, that, yeah. 
as 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 what we're about to get into talks about it it's when you are terrified because you did get caught you're terrified by god's wrath mm-hmm. by the law that comes crashing down upon you so the lutherans are saying two parts to repentance contrition and faith rome is saying contrition confession and satisfaction and that's that's where uh, that's where they go wrong is the satisfaction part you know uh, because it depends who's doing the satisfying is it Christ who is going to do the satisfying mm-hmm. of God's wrath, paying for it, uh, paying for sins, dealing with the guilt? Or, and this is where I think Rome goes wrong, is they take it upon themselves as the individual believer, now I've got to make up for it. Right. Now I've got to try to make this right, because if I don't, then God will not love me anymore and, and will and not forgive me. Furthermore, um, they might say your eternal uh, punishments are taken care of by the absolution, but you've still got to work off your temporal punishments by purgatory and make satisfaction for that. So uh, any further comment on, on this matter of satisfaction, Pastor Landgraf? No, it, it just distracts us, doesn't it, from from what Jesus did and, and focuses on ourselves. Yeah. That's a bad road. And notice they don't even mention faith. Now, you know, one of the things that this comes up, um, especially with us having a a grade school, is that um, we always, of course, we teach the children, you know, now make it right. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you stole that, if you stole that lunch money, now give it back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there's a natural reality that we do want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't think what we're saying is that we don't believe then in finally turning around and doing the right thing. And the Lutherans will get at that in the next section. Right, exactly. So so in this kind of discussion as as we got it started, I just don't want to mislead people into thinking, well, it doesn't mean that you didn't have to turn around and do it right then. Yeah, we call that amendment or life. Or the, yeah, exactly. Or the exactly. fruits worthy of repentance, as St. John the Baptist would call people to. Right, and, and, the, and where we would say Rome goes wrong, it's not because... It's not because we don't say, okay, you got to do it right now, kid. Come on. Stop stealing. Stop cheating. Stop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's really an issue of, as you pointed out, this carries over into purgatory because you are now having to do your own satisfying of God's wrath, of God's law on this earth before the, before the whole process of repentance uh, comes to its uh, full, full stop, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. So the Lutherans are emphasizing in repentance per se, there are two parts, contrition and faith. Contrition, as you said, is sorrow over sin. And then faith, and we're going to get into the meaning of faith in a little bit, but you mentioned this uh, amendment of life or doing the right thing. Uh, The Lutherans say they are not opposed to adding a so-called third part, fruit worthy of repentance, in paragraphs 28 uh, and following, it says, um, if anyone desires to add a third part, fruit worthy of repentance, that is, a change of the entire life and character for the better, we will not oppose it. Uh, but then it's, but it's, that doesn't enter into us satisfying God or earning or meriting our forgiveness. Uh, and then uh, Melanchthon goes on to say, the sum of the preaching of the gospel is this to convict of sin. Uh, that would be the contrition part, to offer for Christ's sake the forgiveness of sins and righteousness, the Holy Spirit, eternal life, that's faith and the forgiveness, 
and now the, the, the amendment of life, and that as reborn people we should do good works. So Christ includes the sum of the gospel when he says repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, Luke 24. If I could uh, kind of just, Go right. Go right uh, while we're in the same area, uh, two things that also hit me when I was going over this. Uh, paragraph 53 starts that these are God's two chief works. Yeah. And emphasizing that it is God who's working these two things out among you and in you uh, mm-hmm. through through who we are as um, as believers. And um, then there's that that whole how to interpret scripture that then comes in in the very next sentence. And I just wanted to highlight that for yeah, a second. We're going to get into that in a moment. Oh, into, okay. Sorry, right. to, sorry to jump ahead. But no, that's fine. Into these two works, all scripture has been distributed. Right. So this, this really becomes kind of an important section for us as we understand how we end up interpreting all of scripture. Yeah. And in this section of paragraphs 44 through 52, Melanchthon supplies a number of scriptural proofs that these are the two parts, the chief parts in repentance, namely contrition and faith. And Rome was kind of neglecting the faith part, the faith and the promises. And it has to do with their total misdefinition of faith. Too. We're going to get into oh, that okay. also. Right. Got a little spark in. that I want to get into. Okay. Oh, yeah, go we'll get there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. So uh, I better there, back off on the coffee, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the. All right, uh, Pastor Sal, you just oh. mentioned these two chief works of God, and uh, Pastor Landgraf, we can talk about God's. What are these two works? One we call His strange work. And then the other we call his proper work. And I remember in class hearing these Latin terms, opus alienum and opus proprium. So what what is God's strange work and God's proper work? Right. When we think of aliens, we kind of get distracted. But that strange work do, is... Do, do. Yeah, yeah. It's that, bad. That one that, he, in, in a sense, he doesn't like to do. It, it's not doesn't fit with him. It's not his main goal. Not his main goal, right? And and I'm reminded of that in the explanation of the Ten Commandments in the Catechism. We should fear His wrath, not mm-hmm. fear Him, just His wrath, but we should love and trust in Him as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, and the distinction there between part or, or or all of Him there and His proper work, where where. He draws us closer to him, is the gospel, that, that loving work. Not the power, but the love. So his strange work is to kill us, to convict us and condemn us as sinners, in order that then we realize our need and are ready to receive the gospel. Um, we have a term for this, uh, law and gospel. Let me, let's get into paragraph 53 here. Let me just read that paragraph for you. God's two chief works among people are these. To terrify, that's the first one. Ah! Ah! To justify and make alive those who have been terrified. You're scaring the children. (laughs) (laughs) Into these two works, all scripture has been distributed. The one part is the law, which shows, reproves, and condemns sins. The other part is the gospel, that is, the promise of grace bestowed in Christ. This promise is constantly repeated in the whole of Scripture, first having been delivered to Adam, I will put enmity in Genesis 3.15. We're going to get into that passage in the next section. Uh, Afterward to the patriarchs, then it was still more clearly proclaimed by the prophets. 
Lastly, it was preached and set forth among the Jewish people by Christ and then spread out over the whole world, over the entire world by the apostles. All the saints were justified through faith in this promise and not by their own attrition or contrition. What are these two terms, law and gospel, Pastor Sell? Well, the, 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 the law, as we rem- might remember back to our confirmation class, the law has three uses, the curb, the mirror, and the rule. So the curb applies to everyone, where everybody's going to get beat, bat, beat. Everybody will get beaten back when someone pulls out a gun. That's just the the worldly reality of to how keep the, the world is in some force. sense of order. Exactly, it's when your dad hits your brakes when he sees the cop around the corner, uh, or me. Um, it also has to do with uh, the second use of the law, which is the primary use that the church has of the law, which is to condemn sin, to identify sin and send people to hell because you sinned, to bring down the full force of the wrath of God. And then the third use of the law is now that I'm a Christian, so I want to live the right life. How do I do this? And you look back at the same law. So people get confused and think we're talking about three separate laws, but we're not. There's one law, and it gets used in three different ways by the believer. So um, the law, we be summarized, for example, in the Ten Commandments, what God wants us to do and what he wants us not to do. Exactly, exactly. And when you break one of those, you got to pay the price, period. There okay. is no maybe or nice try or do your best or, oh, you'll get it right next time. And Melanchthon here is highlighting this so-called second use, by which God uh, convicts and condemns us as sinners. And that, and again, to, uh, really to emphasize that, that is the one that the church uses. Mm-hmm. That is its primary use. The other two get used by the church in an administrative way, the first mm-hmm. use. Or when Christians, when they've uh, repented and they've received absolution, and so I want to make sure I do this right, Pastor. How do I do it now? Now, this other work of God to uh, justify is called uh, the gospel. What is the gospel, Pastor Langraff? Oh, I could talk about this for I a know. long time. <laughs> Just in a short summary. Okay, I'll try and keep it short. But the, in the Old Testament, the, the word gospel meant that uh, significant news was sent from some one person to another. And its most frequent use, as it started out, was that there was a battle going on. The king wasn't there, but they, he appointed a messenger to go from the battlefield with the news of a win or a loss to the king, to the face of the king. And that was significant news then in, in the Old Testament where they won or lost a battle. And that was called the gospel. And in obviously in the New Testament... It means, in the Greek, good news, literally. Euangelion. Yeah, good message, good messenger. And so the, the, the important message is the good news about Jesus that we have. And it's, it's wonderful news. It, it's, it's what the, as this paragraph says, what the whole Old Testament was waiting for. So it's the good news. And KFUO is called the messenger of good news. Uh, and that's the gospel, the good spiel. Uh, that's what the word. Uh, that's what that's what gospel comes from in the in the northern languages. Good spiel. So uh, it's the good news of of uh, salvation and forgiveness in Christ. Um, now you mentioned the Old Testament here. Tell me if this is correct. The Old Testament is all law. The New Testament is all gospel. Uh, no, false. <laughs> Into the ego shredder you go. <laughs> Does that, have you ever heard people think that way? Oh yes, yes. Uh, that's. That's well. You you see that 
in the Old Testament when they when they're focusing on the laws, and you see that in the Jewish culture uh, around surrounding Jesus of the day, they're focused on these commandments. But the the commandments had a bigger, or I, I should say, a, a more important purpose to to point to Jesus, that whole culture of Israel, uh, Jesus is basically Israel reduced to one. And that's, that's the point of having the race of Israel. You, you need somebody down to earth to be a savior. I, I remember one of our beloved professors, Dr. Horace Hummel, when he talked about Psalm 1, about the Torah of Yahweh, and he said, Torah, both law and gospel, you know, that's how he would say it. So it's like the word of God. Right. And so yeah. it's uh, uh, God's word to us, which is both law that condemns our sin, but gospel, good news, and the Old Testament uh, saints were justified, as it says here, uh, the same way we are through trust in God's promise. That's what faith is, trusting God's promise. I think uh, I often wonder if um, if maybe this may be reading too much into it, but the gospel for last week um, talked about um, Christ himself saying that everything written about me, mm-hmm. the law of Moses, the prophets, Luke and the 24. Psalms, they must be fulfilled exactly. And I think what's what's fascinating is in the confessions here, in the apology, these sentences that we just reviewed, they take that same order uh, right from scriptures. Right. You know, and uh, and see how, how those authors of the Old and New Testament um, are unified in Christ, Christ being the speaker and, and proclaiming that all of this has been fulfilled and I am that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And so... It's, uh, you see this very, uh, when you read the confessions, it's not just, uh, about the systematic arrangement of something about this, these topics. It, it is living, breathing, taking it right from God's word. Yeah. And even many times you'll find in the confessions, the very structure unfolds. Right. I call the book of Concord one big Bible study. That's what it really is. Right. Exactly. And, and so in the next two paragraphs, 55 and 56, Melanchthon is going to, bring in two examples from the Old Testament where the even in the Old Testament that they were justified by faith, that the, their repentance was contrition and faith. And so he'll give the example of Adam and the example of David. So in paragraph 55, uh, the example of Adam. The examples also show these two parts, which are uh, contrition and faith. After his sin, Adam is rebuked and becomes terrified. Remember, he's hiding in the, in the, from God. This was contrition. Then God promises grace and speaks of a future seed, the blessed seed, that is Christ, by which the devil's kingdom, death, and sin will be destroyed, Genesis 3.15. Uh, there he offers the forgiveness of sins. These are the chief things, for although the punishment is added afterward, it does not merit the forgiveness of sin. We will speak about this kind of punishment a little later. So, uh, Sal, I'm going to give you Adam, and Paul David Langraff, I'm going to give you David. Um, So, uh, with the example of Adam here, uh, uh, Pastor Sal, he, he cites this promise of God about a future seed uh, what is that? What is that talking about? Well, of course, uh, Adam was probably the one of the biggest screw ups we love to cite because uh, he had it made. He was in the Garden of Eden. He had his beautiful wife. Everything was all set. I mean, how how could you have it any better? And then to turn around and totally blow it 
and and you think, Adam, what were you thinking? <laughs> and um, but anyway, so the whole blame point. Blame the wife. Yeah. What's that? Blame the wife. Yeah, exactly. Well, he wanted and, to be his own god. It just goes to prove there's nothing new under the sun, doesn't yeah. it? You know. Um, so where where's a promise of a seed here in this story of Adam in Genesis three? In Genesis three, what you end up having is a prophecy of who Jesus Christ is truly. Uh, what he will truly do and be, because he is the one, he is the seed of salvation, and you could, and the whole point of the Old Testament becomes following that seed of salvation throughout the history of God's actions on on earth. Let me read the verse. It's Genesis 3.15. We call it the Protevangelium, the first gospel promise, and it's really addressed to the serpent, who is the devil, where God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring, or seed, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What in the world does this have to do with Jesus? Pastor Sell. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, you have the the reference of the offspring. So you're talking about the history of man kind on earth the history that unfolds on this earth and that the when you get to the second part i think probably only got about a minute left yeah, 30 so. seconds so what is okay, the seed yeah, of so the, the, what is meant by seed of the woman that's going to stomp on the devil's head that christ will come from the lineage of of uh eve yeah and notice and it that, says seed of the woman usually you exactly. would say seed of the man but with the virgin birth of Christ. So this is the first, with the first sin comes the first gospel promise. Exactly. So the very first sinners had the gospel, and the people in the Old Testament had the gospel. It's the promise of Christ. We're going to get to the story of David right after this break. You're listening to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. This week on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah. We continue our celebration of National Volunteer Month with volunteers from LCMS Disaster Response. And we talk about how we can make peace with affliction. We'll talk about raising up young church musicians and meet a missionary from the field. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Yay, Sarah's back from vacation. World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Golseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. In Romans 10:17, we read, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's a great need among the people of this world to hear the word of Christ. A need to hear about the hope, love, mercy, and salvation found in Jesus. 
As a partner with us, KFUO becomes your voice to declare the gospel of Christ to those still in darkness. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's John 20, 21. When you make a gift to KFUO, we together as one voice go out to the world and proclaim that good news of Christ through this radio ministry. Join us for share 2018, April 19th through 21st. Celebrate your radio station and enjoy your favorite host and guest during this three-day share event. Again, share 2018 is April 19th through 21st on WorldwideKFUO.org and AMA50 KFUO in St. Louis. The messenger of good news. Genesis 33, 5 says, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. And at Museum of the Bible, families with young ones are most likely to enjoy the children's area. What child wouldn't want to help Peter catch a fish? Or push the pillars over like Samson? Or experience walking on water? Also, the Charles V's prayer book, made in the early 1500s to prepare the young man to assume the role of Holy Roman Emperor. Or an 18th century hieroglyphic Bible, filled with picture puzzles to help children learn to read the Bible. From play areas to prayer books, all children are invited to engage with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We are back on Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. We're talking about repentance uh, with Pastor Mark Sell and Pastor Paul Langreff. I am Pastor Charles Henriksen. Uh, we're in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 12, and um, uh, we're picking it up. We're in uh, paragraph 55 if you're following along. And if you'd like to uh, call in with a, a comment or question, our toll-free number, 800-730-2727. Here in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Email address kfuo at kfuo.org. All right, so Pastor Sell, we were just wrapping up this discussion about how uh, the example of Adam shows us contrition and faith as the two parts of repentance. But he also mentioned there is a, he says, uh, for although the punishment is added afterward, it does not merit the forgiveness of sin. What is the punishment are there some punishments mentioned as a consequence of Adam and Eve's sins? Punishments? Yeah. Oh, you mean just the fallen world? Is that where you're yeah. going with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, then the... Like, uh, <clears throat> uh, gardens that don't produce without thorns and exactly. thistles. Women having pain in childbearing. It's why and it's such a mess. And we return to dust. Exactly, exactly. And so the, the punishment of sin entering the world is, it, it can, it's, I, I always wonder if this is why we end up with the law of entropy, with everything winding down and slowly being destroyed. And there has to be something from the outside to create order back. And, you mm -hmm. know, and that's just scientific method. But the point he's making is that this punishment was not added in order to, that by undergoing some suffering, Adam would earn his forgiveness. Oh, heavens That's the no. relevant point. Oh, heavens no. Just because you're sorry for what you've done wrong doesn't mean you're forgiven. Or that you have to go through some consequences doesn't mean you earn your forgiveness that way. Right, because you always end up because you always end up having to work for your salvation once again. Yeah. So if I'm sorry enough, you have to forgive me or else. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and becomes just just gross confusion of See, and Rome was, Rome was saying if you work off your punishment a little bit or a lot in purgatory, then you kind of are earning Or even some on grace. earth. Or even on even earth. Even on earth. Yeah. And and by the way, thanks for asking. Our Savior Lutheran Church is our savior lcs.org. I promised my principal I'd make sure I'd get that in a couple times during the okay, show. Okay, very good, very we, good. We have some <laughs> openings in the two-year program. All right. Okay, go ahead. Now let's go on to the next example uh, with Pastor Paul David Landgraf about right. your, well, Paul and Why David. Why are you laughing like, at me, Paul? <laughs> no, he can pick your right? middle name's David, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and we were also talking about St. Paul in here with his writings. But, all right, so David, we're showing that the this... Uh, Contrition and faith were true also in the, in the Old Testament. So, paragraph 56, David is rebuked by Nathan in this way. Terrified, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Second Samuel 12, verse 13. This is contrition, his sorrow over sin. Afterward, he hears the absolution. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. This voice encourages David and through faith, it sustains, justifies, and enlivens him. A punishment is also added, but this punishment does not merit the forgiveness of sins. So there's this uh, man, David, a king who had sinned. How did he sin? I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of commandments. One led to a break, one breaking led to another. Sum it up in a, just a couple sentences. What did he do wrong? Right, right. Well, it's interesting that, that, uh, Second Samuel 11 starts out by saying it was the spring of the year when the kings normally go out to battle and David didn't go. He's staying home. He's, He's staying home. It's nice to be king. And he sees this woman, <laughs> rank. woman that he likes, uh, Whoa. And Bathsheba. Because she's taking a bath. Yeah. And he uh, commits adultery. So sixth commandment there. First he covets his neighbor's wife. Right. And that leads to right. adultery, abuse of his authority as king, fourth and, commandment. And then he tries to hide it up, hide hide it so that he he brings in uh, the husband Uriah, and tries to get him with her so that they'd have a seem like he'd uh, they'd the have dad? a child, and uh, he doesn't go for it. I think he thinks something's up, but then he gets him killed in battle. He has Uriah put at the front lines, and yeah. so he's committing murder. So David really, truly, big time messed up, and he's. He's a bit, he's a great man of the Old Testament, right? right. Um, so but, and a good politician, by yeah. what I just heard. But uh, setting up your competition to fail. Yeah, he says, "I have sinned against the Lord." So this is his. He really is contrite, and Psalm fifty-one is his right. prayer of contrition. The prophet comes to him with a his story. Pastor. Yeah, saying, "What about this guy who has all these sheep?" And then he takes the sheep from from a the little ewe lamb that one, the guy neighbor yeah loved. just had one lamb takes it to, to feed a visitor and he says that man deserves to die you're so the man David convicts himself right so he has contrition he really is sor sorrowful for his sin and then pastor nathan gives him the absolution right away yeah but then he also says there's a punishment added what went wrong is a consequence afterward well, the child shall die right, right. and david's reign goes downhill from that point on. The, the child dies right before the circumcision, actually, the seventh day, and and uh, kind of sad, didn't get a chance to do that. But uh, he he uh, is a great story, and he, he goes along, and they think, well, you know, he's in the Lord's hands now. Yeah. So, so David uh, is 
fully forgiven. Now, there are some temporal consequences to his sin, right? and uh, he's sad about that, but that did not merit his uh, forgiveness. That's the relevant point over against Rome, that these punishments did not merit forgiveness, and it's contrition and faith in the promise. And I think it's a great example how sin always leads to death, no matter what. Mm -hmm. You know, even when you're absolved, you still die. I mean, no one here on earth is not going to die. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's kind of the general rubric that uh, are you human? You die. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, and so sin always leads to death. And, and, And we can never forget that death is always that temporal consequence of sin, mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. speaking. Now, so those are two examples from the Old Testament, Adam and David, where there was contrition, sorrow over sin, but a promise was given, uh, and faith in that promise is what saves. And even if there is a consequence, a punishment that is added afterward, it does not enter in to the justification, to the forgiveness. One other example now from the New Testament, um, paragraph 57 nor are special punishments always added. In repentance, these two things ought always to exist, namely contrition and faith, as in Luke 7. Can I comment on 57? On 57, I think uh, it's important to grasp. This explains to us why life is not fair, because there aren't always consequences for people's sin. I mean, there's death, the ultimate the, the consequence. The psalmist, don't they say this like in Psalm 73? Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Exactly. And and so I think that it's, it helps. It gives us a sense of God fully grasped the reality of this world and its injustice and how unfair it is. And, and why people become so disappointed in life because they see how unfair it is. And this... this uh, of paragraph 57 uh, makes that point. God, there will not always be temporal, obvious consequences when you've done something wrong. And if, somebody is, having, if somebody is suffering uh, uh, a bad thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a direct result of this or that specific sin. Examples, Job and John 9, the man born blind. Exactly. So you can't draw a one-to-one correspondence. Exactly. And, and I think too often we, we are led to believe there's a one-to-one correspondence uh, between sin and death or sin and a punishment. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there are. Sometimes it's the natural consequence. If you're going to addict yourself to uh, drugs uh, foolishly, you might suffer some physical or mental or life consequences from that. All but right. you might not. You might not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, signing the example of this woman, the sinful woman in Luke 7, the woman who was a sinner came to Christ weeping. By these tears, the contrition is recognized. Afterwards, she hears the absolution. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Verses 48 and 50. This is the second part of repentance, namely faith that encourages and comforts her. So he's citing example after example of uh, contrition and faith. And then to wrap this up, paragraph 58, From all these, it is clear to godly readers that we assign to repentance those parts that properly belong to it in conversion or the new birth and the forgiveness of sin. Worthy fruit and punishments follow rebirth and the forgiveness of sin. 
For this reason, we have mentioned these two parts so that the faith required in repentance might be seen better, and so that faith, which the gospel proclaims, can be better understood when it is contrasted with contrition and making dead. So God makes us dead, uh, and then he makes us alive. So contrition and faith. There will maybe things coming after that. There might be some consequences, and there ought to be fruit worthy of repentance, the amendment of life. But just speaking properly of repentance, it's contrition and faith. And I think it's interesting, uh, because what kind of echoes in my brain uh, is, um, I think was Bach's understanding of faith being gospel. And here's a great example where the confessions very clearly make the point that faith is gospel. Mm -hmm. Faith is the gift and gift receives. Yep, it's trust in the promises of God. And so uh, that's where we go next in paragraphs 59 and following um, about this connection between forgiveness of sins, which is offered in the gospel, and how it is received and how it is not received. So paragraph 59 since the adversaries, that would mean the Roman Catholic theologians uh, who are behind the confutation, since the adversaries clearly condemn our statement that people obtain the forgiveness of sins by faith, we shall add a few proofs. From these it will be, understand, it will be understood that the forgiveness of sins is received not by the outward deed, ex opera operato, because of contrition, but by that special faith by which an individual believes that sins are pardoned for him. For this is the chief article that we are debating with our adversaries, and the knowledge we regard is necessary to all Christians. However, we have said enough already about the same subject, and we'll be brief. <laughs> I don't think that's within Melanchthon's capability. Nor for three clergymen sitting <laughs> or, around yeah, microphones. Uh, for the doctrine <laughs> of repentance and justification are very closely related. So, Paul uh, Landgraf, how is forgiveness not received? And he's throwing in a Latin phrase here, ex opera operato. Ex opera, from, from the work being worked, by, not by the outward deed. And again, of like going to penance. Right, where you, uh, and again, it's, it's taking your, your sight off of Christ and, and basically putting on something else. It's not by your work of contrition. So you're sorry you've sinned. Well, welcome to the club. Everybody has sinned. That doesn't, it's, you don't earn God's forgiveness by your being sorry for it. It's a free gift, and it is, how then is it received? I think one of the uh, way kind of to put it, it's so you go to McDonald's, you go to the first window, you pay your money, you go to the second window, and they, uh, they have to give you your food. And um, the the ex opera operato is that same system basically. Hey, I paid my money. Give me my food. Yeah, you know, and and uh, no, that's that is not at all because then it takes away the gift. Uh, probably a better way to grasp it is that you don't pay your money, and but you get the gift anyway. And so, so faith is simply the receiving of the gift. Yeah, skip the first window and run and get your burger. Yeah, you don't have to pay anything. It's a free gift. So it's trust in God's promise. That's how. Of how course, we I understand. guess skipping the first window would be breaking one of the commandments. So, <laughs> so I guess it breaks down. But all right, paragraph sixty, and here we get to these two different understandings of faith. I'm going to read paragraph sixty. When the adversaries speak of faith, saying that it comes before repentance. They understand faith this way, 
not that faith justifies, but that, in a general way, it believes that God exists, that punishments have been threatened to the wicked, and so on. In addition to this faith, we require that each one believe that his sins are pardoned. We are arguing about this specific faith, and we contrast it to the opinion that asks us to trust not in Christ's promise, but in the outward act, opus operatum, of contrition, confession, satisfactions, and so on. This faith follows terrors in such a way as to overcome them and make the conscience peaceful. We attribute justification and regeneration, rebirth, to this faith, since it frees from terrors and produces not only peace and joy, but also a new life in the heart. With God's help, we shall defend to eternity and against all the gates of hell that this faith is truly necessary for the forgiveness of sins, and so place it among the parts of repentance. Nor does Christ's church believe otherwise, although our adversaries contradict us. Pastor Langraf, how are there two different understandings of faith reflected here between the adversaries and what the Lutherans are saying? Well, you you can faith is sort of like at the end and and you take a certain road and and maybe you're saying the same word faith but because they went down the road of looking at themselves and saying that I can do something worthy so do something important before God their faith is is a very different instead of receiving the gift it's doing something yeah you're trusting in your own work of contrition confession right. satisfaction rather than in Christ promise. And so it becomes, like they say in the paragraph, a general knowledge. God exists, and I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to have uh, do this faith. All right. Uh, let's go on to paragraph 61 and 62. Furthermore, we ask the adversaries whether or not absolution is a part of repentance. If they separate it from confession, they're clever in making the distinction. We do not see what benefit confession has without absolution. If, however, they do not separate absolution from confession, it is necessary for them to hold that faith is a part of repentance because absolution is not received except through faith. However, that absolution is received only through faith is proven from Paul, who teaches that the promise cannot be received except by faith. Romans 4.16 Absolution is the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, it necessarily requires faith. Neither do we see how the person who does not yield to absolution may be said to receive absolution. What else is the refusal to yield to absolution but charging God with falsehood? If the heart doubts, it regards those things that God promises as uncertain and of no account. So it is written, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. 1 John 5 verse 10. In this section, Pastor Sell, uh, Melanchthon here talks about absolution. What is absolution, and what is the argument Melanchthon is making about how it need, how it must be received? Well, absol- absolution is what is what God gives when He gives out the forgiveness of sins. It is pure gospel. Absolution is the pure proclamation of the forgiveness of sins, and the forgiveness of sins is understood in the gift that we give because Christ has paid for it. So, and I think this helps people to grasp that it's not just a matter of saying, oh, you're forgiven. 
No, it's a matter of grasping and trusting that someone actually paid the price, that someone actually went to hell for this, that someone actually suffered under the wrath of God to deal with our guilt. He took on our guilt. He is the one who actually lived out the holy law. And so absolution encompasses that full understanding that forgiveness is pure and it is free. And I think based upon the definitions that went before, that if you now move repentance into absolution, now repentance will also include, but are you sorry enough? Do you you really confess your sin? Do you really want to change? Then you then it focuses back on the person to whom you're speaking, you know, or the, the person themselves, and then the person becomes responsible for salvation, and that's how the Roman Catholic Church got totally mixed up in all of this. So absolution is the word of forgiveness uh, that Christ has earned your forgiveness for you as a free gift, and now here it is and simply received and, and say thank you for the gift. And I think one of the one of the traps that get set there is that well forgiveness is for you only if you really believe it well you see then you can't fall back onto faith and make faith something that you're doing and i think that's the popular notion of faith where which lutherans totally disagree with is that it's not it's not the work that you're doing enough believing before the forgiveness is going to work. And that invokes the this this beautiful unlocking of all of Scripture, the distinction between law and gospel. And so when you get into when you get into contrition and faith, you really are getting into law and gospel. You're really getting into the full meaning of all of God's word. So I think of that passage in sec in um, Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourself. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So even the believing, even the faith is part of the gift. Exactly. It's this whole thing about being justified by grace through faith. That whole thing is a gift. And it completely confounds people because according to our human reason, which is all law, we are wanting to have some way to get a hold of this and try to prove that I'm a believer. Mm -hmm. Whereas as Christians, we simply accept the gift and realize that God creates that. And then we confess our sin, but we confess our faith and we confess the gospel, but it doesn't, it, 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 we're not here to prove God's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get one more paragraph here, and then we do have a question from a listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, paragraph 63. Second, we think that the adversaries recognize that the forgiveness of sins is either a part of repentance or its end, the terminus ad quem. Therefore, whatever receives the forgiveness of sins is correctly added to the parts of repentance. However, it is very certain that even though all the gates of hell contradict us, the forgiveness of sins cannot be received except by faith alone. This faith believes that sins are pardoned for Christ's sake, according to Romans 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Likewise, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. Romans 5, verse 2. I'll just go on through paragraph 65 here, and then we'll we'll see what we can say about these. Uh, For a terrified conscience cannot set our works or our love against God's wrath. It is eventually quieted when it takes hold of Christ as mediator and believes the promises given for his sake. 
for those who imagine that hearts are quiet, become quieted without faith in Christ do not understand what the forgiveness of sins is or how it came to us. So first, first Peter 2, verse 6, cites from Isaiah 49, 23 and 28, 16, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It is necessary, therefore, that hypocrites be puzzled. They are confident that they receive the forgiveness of sins because of their own works and not because of Christ. Peter also says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, Acts 10.43. What he says through his name could not be expressed more clearly. He adds, Everyone who believes in him. So we receive the forgiveness of sins only through Christ's name, that is, for Christ's sake, and not for the sake of any merits and works of our own. This happens when we believe that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Pastor Landgraf, several things here. He's saying that even the adversaries admit that forgiveness is part of repentance, and then he draws a conclusion from that. Well, if if, uh, forgiveness is part of repentance, therefore, what does that have to do with faith? Well, it it stays in your yourself then. Uh, if it's just if it if it ends there, if if you don't see the absolution as the big important thing, uh, as the forgiveness, uh, the the faith as a gift, then you're 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 by yourself. And Melanchthon is making the point here that from Scripture, like Romans, that forgiveness is received only through faith. Right. So if they say there's forgiveness, well, then that's got to be by faith. Um, all right, let's see, uh, before we get to our listeners here, they're all coming at the end of the program here. So, um, two things. One is that a terrified conscience cannot find any peace of mind by looking at one's own works or love. And on the other hand, a hypocrite, the hypocrites don't get this because it's not a problem for them because they are trusting in their own works or love. Uh, comments on that. Briefly. Well, I, I think it, it becomes a way to grasp how hypocritical each one of us happened to be. You know what I mean? Uh, because when you, as, as a hypocrite, how many times do we go into church and fake it? How many times do we go in after being so tired from doing a whole bunch of services this week and then stand in the pulpit and have to just plow through it? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? And, and so I think to, to understand hypocrite is, is to... To fully understand how how harsh the law truly is, and so the pure message of forgiveness is for every believer as well, constantly and daily, which the kind only, of drives us back to the sacramental life. The only thing that's going to give comfort to a terrified conscience is uh, is uh, faith in Christ and in God's promise. We have a listener on the line, Paul from Jefferson, Missouri. We've only got a minute. Paul, you want to say something quickly? Yes, uh, Pastor Sell, uh, a little while ago, said Christ has paid for it. He is very correct. It is uh, binding to Scripture. What the uh, Church of Rome, particularly since medieval times, has claimed is that, but you have to leave the tip. Uh, That is false. Christ paid for everything. He is the only propitiation for our sins. Uh, it was profitable to the Church of Rome to have people pay their way, and uh, other denominations have followed suit in uh, subsequent times. But we have to go back and remember, Christ has paid for it. 
He's Here paid it all. Thank you very much, Paul. We're coming to the end of our program. I want to thank Pastor Mark Sell and Pastor Paul Langreff for being with us here today on Concord Matters here on KFUO. We invite you to come back to KFUO, especially this Thursday through Saturday. Not that you are paying for your salvation, but we got to pay some bills here to keep KFUO on the air. So we have our first use of on- the law. First use of law, fine. Then that that doesn't earn your salvation, but it does keep the lights on and the radio signal going out. So Sherathon 2018 coming up Thursday through Saturday here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news.